0: I want to preach for a few moments from the topic why you can have joy in trials, why you can have joy in trials. Turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor, turn to your neighbor, work with me, work with me, and say, you can have joy in trials. Amen. Y'all got to talk to me. I'm from a church where we talk back to the preacher. So let me pray for us. Father, in Jesus' name, we love you. We thank you so much for your word. God, I pray that you'll take my mind and think your thoughts in my mouth and speak your words for your people are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. How do you handle hardship? That's a question that we all have to ask ourselves, a question that we're thinking a lot about these days in 2020. And, and, and our author in this text today speaks to us about that very thing. James is the author of our text, and there's some interesting information about James. James is the brother of Jesus, the half brother of Jesus, and he also is said to be the leader of the Jerusalem church. The text tells us that James is writing this, but the text not only tells us that James is writing this, but also it tells us who James is writing to. Look at verse 1. It says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes dispersed abroad Greetings. James is writing to Jewish Christians that are spread outside of the land of Palestine, maybe because of the persecution that took place in Acts chapter 8 when Saul, who later we know as Paul, came and persecuted the church. But either way, these people are spread outside of their homeland, and wherever they are, they are facing trials in their lives. And it's so interesting what James says to them in the second verse. He says, Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials. Now now a trial, we need to understand, is a hardship that God allows in our lives in order to strengthen our faith. Trials are very different than temptations which James will deal with in verses 13 through 15 in this very chapter. Trials are those things that God allows into our lives in order to strengthen our very faith. Trials are, are, are hardships that we don't cause, but actually come to us even though we didn't cause anything. There's a difference between trials and consequences for the sins that you've committed. And that's important to understand because some of us have a mindset, man, I'm going through it and God is tested my faith. And really what's going on is it's something that you did and there are actually consequences that you are facing because of your sin. Jesus Christ saves us from sin, but at the same time, that doesn't mean that there won't be consequences, earthly consequences consequences for the mistake and the sins that we actually commit. James is not talking about that here. James is talking about trials. And I love the fact that James says various trials because that leaves room for whatever trial it is that you and I are facing. And many of us are facing all kinds of trials in 2020. We look at the last seven months, right? And we, and we think about the coronavirus and all that we have faced with the coronavirus, people losing their jobs and, and death and school being canceled and and all of the hardships that have come along with that. And maybe that's the trials that you're dealing with right now, something related to the coronavirus. Or maybe it's some sickness like cancer or something else that is affecting or attacking your body. Maybe it's people on your job and the way they are treating you and, and the way you're being treated because you're a Christian and, and people are treating you a certain way. And these are the trials that you are Facing. Maybe it's something going on with your children right now. You have children, and it's like I, I'm teaching them about Jesus, and, and they still are just acting like fools. I, so, see there, so y'all can say amen right there, right? Amen, amen right? Okay, now we're there, we're there. So, so, so there are trials that face our lives, and I bet that if I could pull this room and ask every single person, all of us can admit that we face trials, and some of us are facing them even right now. But what's interesting is, notice what James says. He says in verse 2, consider it great joy. James, did you fall and bump your head? You're telling me to consider the hardships that I'm facing in life right now as joy? Do you know what I'm going through? Do you know what the last seven months have been like for me and my? family? Do you know what has happened on my job? Do you know the things that I'm battling with my kids? Do you know the the struggles that I have financially or, or when it comes to my health or whatever it may be? And you're saying to me, count it joy? Well, the answer is yes. And the reason why it's yes is because we have to understand biblical joy is different than worldly happiness. See, worldly happiness is based on your circumstances. Biblical joy is based on the truth of God's word and the truth of God in spite of your circumstances. See, biblical joy will allow you to have this good feeling inside of you even when all kinds of hell is breaking loose around you because you're trusting in God and the very promises of him. And so James this morning is calling these suffering Christians who are facing trials and you and I who are facing trials to a biblical joy in the midst of what we're facing. And, 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 and as I said, that that biblical joy springs up as we have our minds on God's very truth. And so what I want to do with the rest of the time I have left is I want to give you two truths that you can hold on to that will allow you to have biblical joy in the midst of your trials. Two truths. The first truth is trials bring Christian maturity. Trials bring Christian maturity. Look at verse 3 in the text. The text says in verse 3, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Now, it's interesting that he says the testing of your faith. We already talked about this, but God is a God who will send trials which test our faith. God will never tempt us to sin, but God will send trials to test our faith. He tested Jesus in the wilderness, amen? He he tested Abraham uh, in the Old Testament, that God is a God who will test our faith. And the question is, why does God test our faith? Well, one of the reasons that God tests our faith is to purify our faith. Listen to 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7. You rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials, so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which though perishable is refined by fire may result in the praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Listen, y'all, tests don't come in order to prove that you have faith, but they come in order to purify our faith. It, 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 let me think I can give it to you. Okay, I know I can help you. So when I was a kid, um, I used to get splinters in my finger. Maybe still could get a splinter in my finger. I, used to, I hate needles. Like, even now, I go to the doctor, and they draw blood, and I'm like, oh, man, I'm trying to hold my head a different way. And I I just, I hate needles. And so when I was little, my mama and my grandmama used to do a thing where y'all might be never heard of this, but they used to wrap a piece of bacon around my finger when I got a splinter. And then they put a Band-Aid around it, and the goal was that using that bacon would cause the splinter to come out without needing to put a needle in there. Some of y'all might want to try that with your kids at home. Um... (laughs) But sometimes it it would work It'd be like, yes, it worked. I don't have to have a needle on my finger. But there were other times where they'd have to put a needle in my finger. And what they would do is they would get that needle and they would get a lighter and they would put the needle under the fire. And the purpose of putting the needle under the fire was to burn off the impurities that could affect my finger. And what I'm trying to tell you this morning is that when God brings trials and tests in your life, God is putting a fire on your faith in order to burn some stuff off your faith that God doesn't want on your faith in order to strengthen your faith. And so the next time that you're going through a hardship, just think about what God is doing with your faith as he puts you through the fire. Text says that the trials they come to test our faith. But but notice, not just the testing of the faith, which purifies our faith, but secondly, these tests, they actually strengthen our faith. They strengthen our faith. Look at verse 3 again in the text. He says, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Endurance. It's as your faith goes through the fire, as your faith is tested it actually grows in endurance to be able to stand up against stuff that you're facing so in one sense you need trials in order to grow in how to deal with trials because it's through trials that God actually strengthens the faith that you have my my wife uh married I've got two children Timothy and Trinity Uh, Timothy's four Trinity is six and my wife uh, Crystal when we moved to Indianapolis a couple years my wife picked up running She decided she wanted to get involved in running and so uh, she picked up running. I haven't I haven't joined her hobby yet Hey Amen. I, I haven't joined it yet, but 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 anyway, what, what happened was when she started running, she didn't just start out running 5Ks and stuff like that. Right now, I look in our bedroom and there's 11 medals that my wife has got from these races that she's run since we've been in the but some of them are virtual and some in person and, and all of that. Well, well, recently my wife went running and she ran a 10K. Now, 10K is 6.2 miles and she did it without stopping. Now, the thing is, my wife didn't one day get up off the couch, say, I'm going to get into running and run a 10K. No, it was as she continued to put her body up under the pressure of running, her body's condition changed in order for her to go longer and further and endure even as her body was being tested through running. And see, that's the reality of what happens as our faith is tested and it's put under the fire. It continues to grow in its endurance and its ability to hold itself up or to hold up under the trials that you and I face. But the problem for many of us is, is just like a person wants to go from couch to 5K the same day. A lot of us want great faith in God and great maturity and great strength in God without going through anything, but it doesn't work that way. If you want to grow in your faith and become more mature as a Christian, it's going to come to the fire as you face the trials that life brings to you. And I, I know there's some people in the room that can testify to that. You're looking now and you're saying, if what happened in 2020 would have happened in, in 2015, I would have lost my mind. But it's because of God's grace through the trials that i faced throughout my life. I've seen the goodness of the Lord. I've seen the way the Lord moves. I've seen the Lord with my backs against the wall, show up and show out. And so I trust that God will do it again. It's as you face trials, your faith is strengthened to be able to stand up as more trials come. Listen, y'all, teachers give tests to see if people really know the information. See, it's as if people really know the information, they don't give tests. Uh, I'm sorry, they give tests if we know the information. A lot of people talk all day long about them knowing the information, but it's when you take the test that we know if you really know the information. And it's a lot of people that talk all day long about the faith they have in God, but it's when hardship comes that you really see where people are. So when next time you're going through a hardship, just think about it as that God is doing something to strengthen my faith. Now, I'm not saying that you got to be, yes, praise God, I'm going through a hardship. There is a legitimate lament. Uh, the great 20th century uh, Dutch theologian, Mark Vrogach, wrote a book uh, called On Lament. So if you want to think about lament, pick that book up. But, but, but either way, there's a place for lament. There's a place for that reality in our lives, but we have to get to the place where we recognize that even when stuff seems bad, God is up to doing something good. Y'all not getting this. Okay, let me see. Let me see how I can give it to you. Okay. Okay, let me tell you this story. Uh, another preacher helped me with this, so I'm going to help you with this. So there was this African king, right? Uh, I heard another preacher say there was this African king, and he had a friend. And, and the friend was always very optimistic. Everything was it's all good. It's all good. It's all good. And, and the king just didn't understand why this guy was this way. And so one time the king and his friend, they went hunting and they packed the guns in the car to go hunting, right? And when they get to the place to actually go hunting, the king goes to pull one of the guns out, gun goes off, blows the king's thumb off. And it was his friend that loaded the guns. And the friend's like, it's all good. And the king's like, what do you mean it's all good? I lost my thumb. What are you you talking about? It's all good. And the king's so upset, he throws his friend in jail. His friend's in jail for a year. Another day, the king goes out to hunt a little while later. And when the king goes out to hunt a little while later, he gets uh, captured by some cannibals. And cannibals eat people. And so he's captured by the cannibals. He's tied up, and they're going to eat him. But then they look at him, and they notice that his thumb is missing. And and the thing is, they're superstitious. And so for them, him having a main thumb would make it a thing where they wouldn't want to eat him. So they release the king. King goes free. King goes back to the prison to see his friend. And he's like, friend, I got to get you out of here. I'm I'm so sorry. I put you in. I should have never done it. And the friend's like, it's all good. He's like, how can you say it's all good? A year of your life is gone by being in prison. And it's all because of me. No, king, you don't get it. Uh, I got both my thumbs. And if I would have been there with you, I would have gotten eaten. See, y'all, we got to start looking to see that God is moving even in the midst of the hardships of life. All things work together for the good of those that love God and are called according to his purposes. That, is, that God is working in the midst of our struggles. But not only do we see that faith is purified through test and faith is strengthened through test, but, but, but get this, get this. The end goal of our tests is Christian maturity. Notice verse four in the text. He says, and let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. The ultimate goal, in one sense, of testing in your life that comes from the Lord is to purify and strengthen your faith, but ultimately so that for your spiritual maturity. Your spiritual maturity. Now what's interesting is, I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible, a lot of you I'm sure are using the ESV, and your translations say, so they might say something like perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And so there's debate about, is this talking about ultimate perfection or is this talking about maturity? And I don't think, I don't think that we have to answer that to understand what we need to understand. Because here's the thing. The ultimate perfection won't come until the future when Jesus comes back, where we will be with him and be totally fully just like him, right, but in the meantime, the goal is to continue to grow in spiritual maturity and the way that one of the ways that we grow in spiritual maturity, yes, we grow through reading our Bibles and praying and going to church, but we also grow through the circumstances and situations or the trials that God allows us to face. And so I think we gotta be careful that we don't measure maturity by how much scripture you can quote and how much systematic theology you know. But we need to start, I'm not saying those aren't good things and important things, but if you got all this systematic theology and quote all this scripture, but when something hard comes in your life, you completely fall apart. You're not as mature as you might think you are, no matter how much Bible you know. But maturity is seen as people of God. God are able to stand up, not that it doesn't hurt, not that there's not pain, but they're able to stand up and keep walking with Jesus, even in the midst of hard situations. And that's a question to ask yourself today. Are you, is this time being wasted for you? This time of dealing with these trials in which you are facing, are you receiving the spiritual maturity that God is willing to do in you through it. Because I got one more thing before I move on. How you respond to the trials matter as well. Look back at verse 4 again, the first part. Let endurance have its full effect. Christian maturity happens as we respond in godly ways to trials. If we're sinful in our response... We, then we fail the test, right? If we, if, we're, if we complain, if we lash out, if we get angry, if we try to manipulate the situation, you know, all these things are ways that we're not allowing the, the test that God is allowing in our lives to have the full effect that God wants us to have. No, the way that it is is that we, we allow it to have its full effect. We, God, I don't know what you're doing. It's hard, it's painful, it hurts, but God, give me the ability to stand up and be faithful even in the midst of this. And as that time is on you, and as you're by God's grace, as you're you're standing under, and you're you're enduring by the grace of God, God is doing something in you to make you more like Jesus, and He's going to keep doing that until the day when you will be totally and fully like Jesus in the new heaven and the new earth. So, brothers and sisters, don't be surprised as hardships come. Like we we get so surprised. I can't believe it. It's kind of like you get car, you get home insurance, and then something happens and you got to use it. and You're like, why do I have to use it? Like this, it's like, why are we surprised? That's why you have home insurance, right? But, but I guess I don't do that like I do. I guess. But, but anyway, um, but, but, but anyway, don't be surprised. And listen to what First Peter four twelve says. It says Dear friends, do not be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you as if something unusual were happening to you. When you face a trial, rejoice that God is using it to make you more like Jesus, and this is worth rejoicing over, even when the trial's hard. So number one, we can have joy in trials because trials bring Christian maturity. But notice, secondly, lastly and secondly, trials won't last always trials won't last always go down to verse 12 in the text verse 12 he begins he says blessed is the one who endures trials because when he has stood the test he will receive the crown of life that god has promised to those who love him now it's interesting that blessed and trials are together we never would think that do we if you we never are thinking well i'm blessed because i because i've got trials we never see it that way right but Because the, the problem is we need to understand that, we're, that the reality is no matter what the trial is, it can't last forever. Okay? It, it can't last forever. Notice verse 12 again. He says, blessed is the one who endures trials because when he stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. Now, when you think of the crown of life, you're probably thinking of like a gold crown or jewels or something like that. But, but that wouldn't have been, I don't think that's the crown that he would have had in mind here in this text. In the biblical days, they had sports, just like we got sports, and they had a laurel wreath, which was given to the person who competed in the athletics and was victorious at the end of the race. So, so, so the reality is that, that that's what's going on here, that, the, that he's got this idea of sports in line. So just like Paul, y'all read Paul about discipline my body so that when I preach to others, I won't be disqualified, all that stuff about sports that, that Paul's kind of talking about in 1 Corinthians, which you guys are in now. Um, and then, and then we see it with James. These would have been, I guess they would have been sports fans. And so if you're a Colts fan and you're sitting here now thinking, I want to watch the game day, that's okay. It's okay. Yeah, it's okay to be a sports fan. Paul and, and James were. But, but, but the idea of the crown of life, which was giving, and so the question is, what is the crown of life? Well, well, in reality, it's, it's eternal life and all of its benefits. The crown of life is life itself. It's the eternal life that God promises to us and all of the benefits that come with it. And somebody's like, well, hold on, preacher. Now, hold on a second. Now, you're saying, I thought salvation and eternal life was by faith alone and Christ alone apart from works. But you're saying that it's, if we endure, that we get the crown of life. Are you saying that there's a works-based salvation here? Not at all. What I'm saying is, is that those who are truly trusted in Christ, by God's power and his spirit will progress and continue to run the race. Not perfectly, but nonetheless, they will run the race. So many times there have been people that walked in churches, walked down an aisle, gave the preacher their hand, or gave the deacon their hand, the preacher their heart and all that and everything, got baptized and you never saw them again because it wasn't real faith. See, James is going to help us understand in James chapter 2 that real faith has action behind it. And so what James is saying here is that as you're enduring the trials, again in verse 12, blessed is the one who endures trials because when he stood the test, he received the crown of life. That that there's going to be a time in the future where no matter what trial you face, God is going to give you a crown. You're going to spend eternity in heaven with him and all the trials that you face in this life won't even matter anymore. See, that trials in and of themselves are hard, but they can't last always for the Christian. They don't last always. Listen, y'all, cancer can't last forever. Coronavirus can't last forever. Them hardships you have when your job can't last forever. There's a day coming when Jesus will come back and make all things new. And that's what you and I have to hold on to as we face trials in this life. Jesus teaches us that trials won't last always. Jesus faced trials, not because he needed to be mature. Jesus was perfect in every way. But nonetheless, Jesus faced trials. Jesus was arrested one Thursday in a garden, taken before a kangaroo court hung on a cross, suffocated to death. The sinless son of God suffocated to death, died on the cross, was laid in another man's tomb, a borrowed tomb, and it was borrowed because Jesus wasn't staying there. Because early Sunday morning, Jesus got up with all power in his hand, showing us that trouble can't last always. They killed him on Friday, but early Sunday morning, he got up with all power in his hands. And because Jesus got up, you and I can know that the things that we face will not last always if we are in Christ. Because Jesus got up, weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Because Jesus got up, we could say with Paul, the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. Because Jesus got up, we have a home in heaven that nothing could ever change or affect. And so my word to you today, Christian, is hold on. Hold on. Change is coming. And it might not come in this life. I can't promise you that. But I can promise you that the ultimate change that all of us are longing for and deeply need will come. Or have we, and myself included, been so enthralled with the things of this world that that's the ultimate change we're waiting on? If if your ultimate change that you're waiting on, and mine, and this just hit me just now, if all I'm waiting on is, man, one day coronavirus is gonna be over, man, something else will come. So my eyes have to be focused on something beyond the life that we're in now. Have you ever been on your job I got a couple minutes so I can do this. Have you ever been on your job and you got a coworker that's getting on your nerves, but you start thinking, I got vacation coming up next week. And so you can hold out, right? Some you know, yeah, of You can hold out because, yeah, they're getting on my nerves. They're, they got this thing all jacked up, but I got vacation next week. Some of us got to get that mindset about our Christianity. Yeah, stuff is messed up. Yeah, stuff is jacked up. But I got a home in heaven that's coming one day in the future. And as I look to that, I can have joy even as I face things now. Hold on, Christian, so that you and I can say with Paul at the end of our lives, 2 Timothy 4, 7, and 8. Paul in a prison jail cell, probably going to be killed soon after this, most likely, or what we believe. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. There is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. But here's the beautiful thing. And not only to me, but to all those who love his appearing. Hold on, because something amazing is coming. And you know, as I end, there might be somebody here that's not yet a Christian. And you're here listening, maybe somebody invited you, or maybe you're listening online and because a friend told you about this, or you just feel this, the need to do this. Listen, I want you to know that if you're looking for your joy or your ultimate satisfaction in anything other than Jesus Christ, I promise you, it will not satisfy. And you know that because you've tried everything and you thought, if I just got this promotion, if I just got this house, if I just got this, if I just got that, if I just got this relationship, and it still continues to leave you in a place of emptiness. And the reason is because God created you in such a way that only he can feel the deepest longings of your heart. and The good news is, is that you can be reconciled to God. If you'll turn from your sin and trust in Jesus alone and his death and resurrection alone, he will save you. He will wash your sins away. He will put his Holy Spirit in you and give you a joy that the world can never understand. But it's only available to those who recognize their sinners and come and trust in Christ. And so if you're not a Christian, I plead with you to cry out to God and ask him to save you. Turn from your sin and believe that Jesus died and rose from the dead. It would bring real joy change. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we love you. We thank you so much for your goodness to us in Christ. God, I pray that the word of God, which I shared this morning, will help your people. I pray that it will encourage our hearts, Lord, mine included. Lord, I need it as much as my brothers and sisters, God. Give us a joy in you in the midst of the pain that we face. For your glory, your name, and fame, in Jesus' name.